Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Not since the LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh era has South Florida been this abuzz with basketball. Yet here we are on the cusp of the NCAA Tournament Final Four, and the University of Miami and Florida Atlantic University remain in the tournament on opposite sides of the bracket. Today, on a very special episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast, I welcome in two guests to break down the teams. The first is the voice of the Miami Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki, who's been calling Miami games for more than three decades. Then we'll hear from Zach Weinberger, an FAU graduate who's been covering the team this season for our USA Today Florida Sports Network site, the Palm Beach Post. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Well, let's start breaking down our two home state teams. First, the Miami Hurricanes with Joe Zagacki, and then FAU with Zach Weinberger. Hey, Joe, I appreciate you joining me. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, you're welcome very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, you've been the voice of Miami for more than three decades. The past two years have had to be as good as any for you. You've got Miami. They made the Elite Eight last year before losing to eventual champion Kansas. Now they're in the Final Four. You had the women make the Elite Eight before losing to LSU. So is Miami and South Florida turning into a basketball town instead of football? Well, a lot of people want to make it that way. I think what it's going to do is uh, a lot of younger uh, kids will be watching or have been watching the University of Miami, watching their players, watching Coach L, watching the amount of fun and uh, the joy that they play with. And perhaps that will lead them to play more basketball. Uh, from the fan perspective, uh, I, I think, you know, college fans just become fans of, of their program. Uh, maybe they become more rabid uh, when their team wins, but I think you know, the University of Miami got a great fan base for football, and now that basketball is doing well, is on the ascension, I just think a lot of those people are now cheering for Miami basketball with the same passion that they've cheered for uh, Miami football with for, for a lot of years. Now, I would also compare it to one other thing. Uh, we didn't have hockey in this town for forever, right? And the Panthers, way back in the late 90s, go to the Stanley Cup. And now a lot of kids play hockey in South Florida. We didn't have ice here, but because the Panthers had great success in the Stanley Cup, that generated a lot of interest in hockey. So I think uh, for basketball, maybe it'll have the same effect. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, since uh, I guess probably the LeBron and Wade and Bosch years basketball, you know, probably has not been this big down there. And, you know, the the person at the top right there, Jim Laranega, you know, talk about the job that he's done, because, I mean, he's been there for a while. Not sure if he was a guy who was expected to be, you know, contending for a championship initially when they brought him in. But again, the last two years, just, you know, just high achieving. So, So talk about Jim and the job he's done for the University of Miami. Yeah, he's an incredible coach. He's an incredible person. He's a philosopher. He's a teacher. Uh, he's a competitor, all wrapped up into one. And uh, he just really understands how to win. He was uh, influenced by his high school coach. He wanted to be just like his high school coach. And a lot of those same principles that he learned when he was in high school uh, from his high school coach, he's applied to his own coaching career and then has learned how to, uh, to adapt to uh, the way things have changed in society and the way things have changed in basketball. Uh, During the game, he's as calm as any coach I've ever been around, and I think he's got a a great philosophy. He trains his players. He trains his players in practice, and then when the game starts, he becomes a cheerleader. He trusts his players, and I think they respond to that. Uh, kind of coaching. Yeah, you know, a lot of the older coaches don't seem to connect well with players, and that's because they might come from that older school of, you know, uptight yelling and things like that, but he's not really that type of guy, so is that one of the connection points? No, no question. I don't think, you know, at least, you know, it may come down to, you know, who you recruit and all those things, but I'm watching Miami and Houston the other night, and the Miami players are out on the floor, they're laughing, they're hugging, they're having a great time. It's a one-point game. There's a lot of joy. Coach L is smiling with him. He's not frazzled. I look over to the other side, and Houston's got a scowl, and their coach is yelling at him that they're soft and this and that. And, uh, you know, maybe that worked for Kelvin Sampson all year. Maybe it works for other coaches with the way they coach their players. I can't speak to that. I do know it works at the University of Miami and with Coach L, and that's having a connection with his players, that's making them feel comfortable. That's knowing that they've got a cheerleader in their court. Uh, and if there's a if a guy comes down and takes a shot and it doesn't go in, maybe it's not a great shot. He doesn't scream at him. He claps. He claps mistakes. So he's found a philosophy that works. Yeah, you know, prior to the tournament starting, you know, uh, Miami goes into the ACC tournament as the number one seed. They lose to Duke in in the round of four for the ACC tournament. Uh, they lost by nine, in fact. So, you know, what what were you thinking when you saw that as you see the number one team go down to a Duke team that certainly is not the Duke teams of past? And, uh, you know, how foreboding prior to the tournament were you thinking that a loss like that was going to be? Well, I was thinking that if North Chad O'Meara had played the entire game, Miami would have beat him. He got hurt one minute into the game. So Miami played handicapped in that game. Uh, one minute into the game, Omir went down and twisted his ankle, uh, and he had just grabbed a rebound. He had grabbed that rebound with authority and pretty much, I thought he was going to, uh, I thought he was going to win his matchup with Derek Lively of Duke when he went down, uh, that really, uh, sent shockwaves through Miami. They had to change their strategy. I thought they played a great game without him. I thought they were very competitive without him in that game. It was a two point game. Late in the game, Duke stretched the lead on on free throws, but Miami playing shorthanded. Uh, so I came out of that game thinking, well, damn, if Norchad was in there, they would have beat Duke, number one. And number two, if they get him healthy, uh, I didn't really change my stance. I thought Miami was the Final Four team 
uh, in January. I thought they were a Final Four team in February. thought they were a Final Four team in March. And here we are headed for April. And, uh, you know, Norchad, after the injury, uh, the sprained ankle against Duke in the four tournament games, he's grabbed 55 rebounds. So just shows you how important he was in that Duke game. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at this tournament so far, you know, the Indiana game, Isaiah Wong was the big scorer against Houston. It was Nigel Pack against Texas. It's Jordan Miller. So, you know, you've got the big guy getting the rebound there, but you've also got different scorers who are taking over. So, you know, as we look ahead to UConn, five and a half point underdog from the latest line I saw from Miami. You know, what needs to happen in this championship game? Who needs to step up or what type of team effort? Because, like I said, you've had different scorers, but now all of this kind of needs to come together to be what's probably the best team remaining out of the four. Well, they have to be uh, the Miami Hurricanes. They can't change anything. They have to do what they've done all year long. They play the same way all season. You know, other, other than that Duke loss, really most of their losses have been by three points or less, uh, and they've all come down the final possession or so and uh, the games that they coughed up were games where they got sloppy late in the game other than that uh, they have played the same way all year and they share the ball they play really good defense or good enough defense and they rebound and as long as they share the ball and rebound uh, I think they'll have success against UConn now uh, UConn's got two big guys Sonogo being one of them uh, that'll be a very tough matchup for Norchad I think Sonogo's probably a little bit taller Maybe a little, little, little bit more muscular, but I think Norchad is the more skillful player and the more athletic player. And then they've got the seven foot two kid UConn does, and you know Miami doesn't have an answer for that. Uh, they don't have anybody seven foot two, so they just have to jump up as high as they can <laughs> and uh, try to front him and deny deny him. But they played played guys like Jesse Edwards from Syracuse and seven four. But going to the UConn game, uh, I would say. Uh, Miami has to um, defend UConn's shooters very well. UConn has been explosive, but I don't know that they have faced really good defensive teams. Gonzaga is not known for their defense, and UConn kind of shredded them. And I think Miami will offer more resistance there. And then on the perimeter, when UConn's defending Miami, uh, UConn is going to have to keep Miami out of the lane, but also prevent Miami from making their threes. And Miami is the best three-point shooting team uh, percentage-wise in the ACC. Yeah, you know, when you look at those matchups, uh, the offensive matchups for Miami, who do you, you know, who do you like to, you know, if you were to put on your prediction hat, who do you think is going to come out as the leading scorer from that game? Um, well, if I was to look into my crystal ball, uh, we're in the final four, I would have to say Isaiah Wong. Now, uh, UConn, uh, Hawkins is a great defender, so I imagine they'll try to deny uh, Isaiah Wong, and if they do, then Maybe that opens things up for Nigel Pack or again Jordan Miller. Uh, that's the way Texas decided to play it. They were going to they were going to decide uh, deny Wong and, and Nigel Pack and Jordan Miller got a uh, perfect game with 27 points. They couldn't stop him. So uh, UConn will have to pick their poison to try to defend Miami. And uh, whether they try to, to to deny Wong or Pack, that's going to leave somebody else open. But uh, I would not bet against Isaiah Wong and finding his shot. He's one of the great shot makers in college basketball, if not the best, as a great mid-range game. Uh, kills you from the three-throw line. I think he's 21 for 24 in the four games so far uh, in the tournament from the free throw line and is very uh, adept at making three-point shots. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, Miami has wins again over the number one Houston seed in that bracket, number two Texas. Do you think Miami was maybe seeded a little bit too low, or do you think that they they got the right spot? No, I think they were seeded too low. I think if Miami was in the AAC like Houston, Miami too would have been 33-3 and and would have been uh, probably the uh, number one seed. But they played in the ACC, and the national perspective, for some reason, is that the ACC isn't as good as in the past, probably because people look at it and see Miami up there and not North Carolina. But I can tell you, uh, going through the gauntlet of the ACC for three months, 20 games, playing against great coaches, great players, and great environments makes you battle-tested. And I looked at Houston's body of work and compared it to Miami's body of work, and to me, it wasn't even close. If I would put Houston in the ACC, I'm not sure that no, I am sure. They're not 33-3, and three, but if I put Miami in the AAC, they are 33-3 and three or better. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. So when you look at the other side of the bracket now, you've got San Diego State. They're a one-and-a-half-point favorite over FAU. What do you think is going to happen in that game? I think FAU might win that game. You know, they, they just know how to win. They know how to score. They know how to win. Uh, this is not, you know, an overnight sensation for FAU. Miami played them last year, and they've been putting this team together, playing together for the last few years. Uh, next to Miami, they are probably the most connected team remaining. They've been together. They know each other. They know their game. They have an identity. They know who they are. They can score. They can defend. They have size. They have athletic ability, and they win. They've got the most wins uh, in the country or the most wins of the teams remaining. And when you have teams that just know how to win, it's a habit. And the only thing they believe is that they're going to win. A little bit like Miami. So I would not be uh, completely shocked if the final is Miami and FAU, who, by the way, most people don't know this, played each other last year at FAU. And if they have the same kind of game in a championship game, people would go crazy because Miami beat them on the last shot of the game. Oh, boy, I, I do remember that game. And you're right, FAU has been really good. And, you know, I know Florida has been down, but, you know, beating the Gators up there and, and all of that. So, you know, what would it mean for South Florida to have FAU and Miami playing in a championship game? I think it'd be great. I think, uh, again, it would just, um, I think, enhance basketball in this area. Um, and we do have, we do have passionate fans. They just haven't had much to cheer for the last couple of years in terms of football, either the Dolphins or, or the Miami Hurricanes. But uh, I think they do know their basketball because of the Heat and LeBron and uh, the, the amount of uh, championships that the Heat have played in. Uh, so to have Miami and FAU in a, uh, in a championship game would allow South Florida to do what they do best, flex their muscles and brag. And I think it would be great. There you go. I don't know if you saw this, but Senator Rick Scott, he had FAU and Miami in his final four in his bracket. And then, of course, maybe a little homerism playing each other in the final. But he may end up looking like Nostradamus. He had Miami winning. So do you think Miami would beat FAU in a championship game? Now, wait a minute. You're asking the voice of the Hurricanes <laughs> if they would beat FAU in a championship game. <laughs> what other answer do you have? <laughs> if, Miami played, if Miami played the played the Boston Celtics in the championship game, I would say Miami's going to win. Good point. You know, sometimes I put my impartial journalist hat on and I forget that people are allowed to have opinions in this business. <laughs> All right. So uh, what, what else should we know about this game? What, what else might you like to impart before I let you go? 
Well, I think the thing about, you know, the University of Miami, and it kind of uh, gets on my nerves a little bit, and I think it's becoming a story, is because uh, Miami, you know, had some NIL deals with Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong. Some people are like, oh, well, Miami's buying a championship. And I don't think Miami has done anything different than anybody else in the country, except for one thing. Um, when people talk about that, and we were in the era, era of money being in the locker room in college athletics. And I think one of the great things about this program uh, that Coach L has been able to talk to his players about, and they have embraced, and I think a lot of other people could use it as well in life. He has a team where the players are happy for someone else's success. And that's why there is no division on this team. These kids are happy for everybody else's success. If Nigel Pack has success financially or on the floor, Isaiah Wong and Jordan Miller are happy. If Jordan Miller and Isaiah Wong have success in a game or uh, maybe they get another NIL, Nigel Pack is happy for them. This is a team where they're happy for someone else's success. And sometimes that doesn't play out in society, but it does in this little family here of University of Miami basketball. Yeah, and you know, it was Jim Beheim, one of the people saying that Miami bought a basketball team, but that's comical considering the players he's gotten to come up to frigid upstate New York over the past several decades. So, if any of those guys in the blue bloods that are saying that such and such team bought a team, that they should be ashamed of, ashamed of themselves because they know what the truth is. They know how they built their teams in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. As Coach L said, why isn't everybody transparent about it now? But I can assure you that a lot of those, a lot of these coaches that are throwing stones, uh, they, they're proud they're doing it because now they've got competition and the playing field has been leveled. And uh, it's just that their people haven't talked about it. But it's a new era, and you know, in terms of Miami's NIL, they do have uh, you know people that make NIL deals and. And typical in South Florida, uh, they like to talk about it. But elsewhere, maybe not. But those guys that are throwing the stones, they might want to examine how they built their teams. And Joe, because uh, a lot of the people that will be listening to this podcast aren't necessarily in South Florida, if they want to hear you, the voice of the Hurricanes, calling the game this Saturday, tell people where they can listen to you. Well, in South Florida, you, uh, we're going to be on an FM station called The Shark, FM 104.3, The Shark. Now, the NCAA and uh, the NCAA has all these streaming rules, so we are streaming on what is called the Varsity Network app. And it's pretty simple. You download the Varsity Network app, uh, you go to March Madness, and there will only be two choices left, two games left. You just push the button where the UM logo is, and our broadcast will be there on the, uh, on the Varsity Network app, which is uh, produced by Learfield. All righty. Well, Joe, again, it's been a pleasure having you here. Very familiar with your voice, and it's finally nice to talk to you in person. Safe travels to you, and good luck to the Miami Hurricanes. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Go team. Hey, Zach, I appreciate you being here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. You probably had no idea you would be covering this team into April, but here you are. Or, or maybe you did know that this was going to happen, but you know, tell us a little bit about this Owls team and what this run has been like for you to cover. Yeah, you know, again, I'm just graduating from FAU last August. I've been covering the team really since my freshman year when I was contributing to the student newspaper. And listen, the, the arenas were, were were near empty, you know, and just kind of seeing the the 
evolution of that to this season where you have sellout crowds in you know an FAU's arena at Madison Square Garden and now we're to see them at Energy Stadium in Houston. I mean, it, it's been a surreal experience, you know, and again, this team has been has accomplished so much this season. Uh, when it came to last season, I, I knew that they were going to take a significant jump and that they were being contention for a conference championship. Did I, did I expect them to be ranked for the first time in the program's history? Did I expect them to have the longest active winning streak in, in college basketball and to make the Final Four? Maybe not, but still, it, you know, seeing this was not a huge surprise, but again, it's just still such, so, so surreal and to even think that this season is easily, in my opinion, the, the best athletic season in FAU's uh, history. It's been great. Yeah, you know, what a lot of people don't realize about this team is a lot of these players, they've been together for quite some time. You also have, I believe, is it five players from the state of Florida are on this team. You know, they're they're not certainly not the biggest team in the tournament, considering UConn's got a guy that's like 7'2", uh, even though they're not playing them, they're playing San Diego State, but just, you know, to show size disparity. So talk a little bit about this roster. What makes the Owls so special? And, you know, for people who haven't been paying attention, you know, talk about the players that people should be watching for this Saturday night. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that separates FAU from a lot of teams in conference USA, and especially in the national tournament this year, is it's its depth. You know, the Owls usually run a nine-man rotation, and it's, it's it just kind of conserves the energy of a lot of the top players and even the players on the bench here. You know, the, the term starting lineup doesn't really mean that much uh, to this team because they just play as a collective unit. They don't rely on one guy to score 30 a night. Everybody gets a chance. And, you know, just kind of the players to kind of watch out for. You, you're seeing Janelle, the evolution of Janelle Davis from last year to this year, uh, kind of the most NBA-type uh, talent on this team, if I could say that. You have Elijah Martin. You have Vlad Golden, who gives him that size. Uh, you, again, Giancarlo Rosado, and and it just the list goes. Nick Boyd. I mean, I mean, there, there's so many players that have contributed in so many different ways and add so much to this team that, like you said, undersized, but uh, they're gritty. They, they, they play as a collective unit. It's, it's resulted in a Final Four appearance. Yeah, and they shoot lights out. That's for sure. You know, uh, when you look when you look at what this team has done through the tournament, you know, on the other side of the bracket, the Miami Hurricanes get to the Final Four. They had to get through a number one seed and a number two seed in Houston and Texas. But, you know, FAU, they played Memphis, Fairleigh Dickinson, Tennessee, Kansas State. So, you know, what's been, would you say, the most impressive victories victory uh, so far in this run leading up to the San Diego State game? Uh, to, to me, it's Kansas State, you know, and again, when it, when it came to Memphis, I knew that the matchup was there and I knew that FDU had a chance. FDU, I, you know, again, despite that Cinderella run and that win against Purdue, I, I kind of expected them to be there. Tennessee, I had some sort of matchup troubles with. They're, they're big, they're, they're, uh, they're physical, they got past them. But Kansas State has a lot of guys there that you have to stop or at least maintain. You look at Marquise Noel, who... Who they didn't really stop. He scored 30 points and had more than 10 assists, but you stopped guys like Keontae Johnson. And to me, Kansas State was a team that I thought would, would make a Final Four appearance, but obviously FAU was in the way of them. Uh, so to me, again, what this team has done so well compared to last season, even the season that Dusty May had been the head coach, was that they would always crumble and lose in these close games. But they're on the right side of the aisle this season. I think they're 12-1 and now in games decided by five points or less. And I mean, it, it's been working out, uh, and especially when – they out, even though they're undersized, they out-rebound every team that's been in the tournament so far, and you have to do that against San Diego State. You have to, you have to do those keys to victory. 
Yeah, you know, you mentioned Coach Dusty May, the 46-year-old coach who, he sounds like one of these old-school coaches, I just want to coach basketball, one of those kind of guys, you know. How has he been able to pull this team together and get things done in Boca Raton? And, of course, the talking points nationally are he's not going to stick around there long, so maybe he will. What do you think of what Dusty May's been doing there? I mean, he's just more from wonders for the team, you know, and I think that one of the things that uh, people got to talk about is just what he has done in the recruiting level, uh, just finding these diamonds in the rough and, and finding these multi-talented guys that have been a little under-recruited, whether it be a Janelle Davis or an Elijah Martin or getting Vlad Golden from Texas Tech. I mean, he, he has an eye for what he wants his team to be and maybe even the mindset as well, where it's like he wants selfless guys. He wants guys that are going to work as a collective unit. Uh, he doesn't want to lean on a couple of players. And that's exactly what's happening. And and the depth is really just showing in that sort of department. But again, it's just like, it's just the mindset that he's bringing to these kids, you know, and uh, I I think kids are their adults, but yeah, it's been, he's worked wonders for this university. And even when they're entering the AAC next season, it's going to be interesting because, you know, obviously the talk of the town besides their run is, well, well, Dusty may stay and stuff like that. And we've seen a lot of big jobs go. And, you know, I guess we'll see, you know, I, I know that, Dusty May has talked about some extension talks with FAU. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens postseason. But obviously they're focused on San Diego State and hopefully a national championship appearance. Yeah, one of my favorite stats that I saw was Dusty May's salary is $500,000. But he had a clause. And when they put this in, I'm not sure. They they were probably like, yeah, like that's going to happen. The clause was once he made the Sweet 16, a $750,000 bonus would kick in. So he's now made more just from that bonus alone than his salary for coaching all season. So, uh, you know, it, it does make you wonder what type of money that they might have, you know, to, to keep a guy like that. But, you know, in, in hearing him talk, what's the sense you get? Do you think he'd like to stick around at least for another year, especially given what they're doing right now? Or or do you think after the season he'll say all the right things and then leave for, I don't know, Notre Dame? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, m- what I'm sensing from the way he talks and, you know, again, I'll, you can say about any every coach that they say they love, they love where they're coaching at and the next season they just kind of dip and they go somewhere else. But, I, I genuinely think that, that Dusty May, uh, he's talked time and time again about how he just he's tired of kind of moving places with his family and stuff like that. Obviously, we'll see what the money says, but still, um, I think he's he's built a program here that can last a couple of years. You look at the kind of the guys that's been on this team, a lot of the top guys, are also, they're mostly sophomores. You look at Elijah Martin, Janelle Davis, Vlad Golden, Rosado, I mean, uh, redshirt freshman and Nick Boyd. I mean, this, this team has a core that can play a couple more years and contend at the, at the same level they, they could have. So I, I, I can see him staying another year and seeing what the market is like at that point. Um, but again, I'm in the sense that he just wants to stay here. Again, I think with the extension, I don't know if he's going to be using to throw that same money as other colleges would, but I think he can have that job security, you know. But again, he has the leverage at the moment. Yeah, if I'm Dusty May and he and I were exactly the same age, I know I would rather stay in Florida where it's nice and warm and collect a nice paycheck than go up to the Rust Belt and maybe coach a legacy program, but free, you know, freeze myself to death. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But now let's talk about Saturday night, San Diego State. I mean, look, both of these teams, nobody really thought either of them were going to be there. San Diego State's a one and a half point favorite, so it's close to a push. You know, talk about the matchup, what you like about playing a team like San Diego State from FAU's perspective, and a little bit about how you might expect this game to go. 
Yeah, so when, you know, when kind of watching that Creighton and San Diego State game, I, out of the two opponents, and I think they're both really good opponents, I, I would have rather to, to face San Diego State, and here's why, is because I think that FAU has seen this type of matchup before when it, when it is within, in conference or even what they experience in the tournament. I do see some similarities with Tennessee. They're big, they're physical, they're deep. Uh, they can throw a lot of guys at you, uh, you know, defensively. Um, and to me, I think that's a matchup that FAU has seen time and time again this season, even in seasons prior. Um, so I do like the matchup. Again, I still think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout on either end. Um, but again, I think FAU does have the advantage in a lot of other territories. But again, um, you cannot overlook San Diego State of, of the opponents that they beat in the number one team, Alabama, and, and just other opponents. Um, but again, you know, I think that FAU has been the underdogs every single game. I don't know. The only time they've been favored was against uh, FDU here. So, uh, again, it's going to be a physical game just like the past uh, you know, three tournament games have been. Um, and that's the kind of the game that FAU wants to play as well. So if FAU kind of gets into rhythm, they pound in the paint, they out-rebound the other team like they've been doing it in every single win in the tournament so far, I think they'll be in good position. But I think the one big thing that they have to do is shoot well three. They struggled at the beginning of the tournament. They kind of, kind of got their groove in the last couple games here. If they can keep up with what they, what's been successful for them, uh, we could be looking at FAU in the national championship game, which is really crazy to even say uh, to you here. But again, uh, San Diego State will be a, will be tough. Yeah, and that's at 6.09 on Saturday night. And, you know, I've been researching San Diego State, and I could sit here and bore people with statistics and other oddities about them. But I'll just tell you the one thing that I read that I just I, I found the most fascinating. Maybe other people won't. But did you know that the all-time leader in assists in basketball at San Diego State is Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn with 590. I, I thought that that was hilarious. Wow. Okay. I, I don't know what name I really expected you to say, and that wasn't it. That's, no. that's it. Okay. <laughs> yep, definitely. So, uh, you know, again, how, how do you uh, how do you see this game going then? If you were, you know, a one-and-a-half-point spread, you're going to Vegas, what are you going to take there? I got to take FAU. I, I get it. You know, especially when you're when with the stat I mentioned earlier, how you know this team is now twelve and one in games decided by five points or less. Um, if I was if that was a betting man and I, and I were to bet on this game, I guess I would have to go with FAU here and, and kind of with just kind of closing that gap and just also you know winning. So yeah, you know, listen, it's they've been the underdogs, like I said, in every single game here. Uh, I'm not sure what their record is against the spread. That would be actually interesting to look at. But, yeah, again, it's just March Madness has, has proven time and time again. It's so unpredictable. You look at the final four, three of the four teams are there for the first time ever. And uh, FAU, San Diego State, and, U- and Miami. So, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a barn burner for sure. Yeah, Miami was so close last year, lost in the Elite Eight to eventual champion Kansas and they're playing the pedigree, UConn over on the other side. UConn's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Who do you like in that game? UConn, but, part, but I, I obviously want to see the, the all-South Florida national championship game. You know, Jim Laranega and Dusty May, who faced off the season prior, had a great game in FAU's arena. You know, the Owls only lost by two. I would love to see that rematch. And I, I wouldn't expect the rematch to happen in the national championship stage, but I think that would be such a entertaining game to watch, but I'm going to go with UConn because I, I obviously out of all the four teams, that's the one that really scares me the most. Uh, I expect them to kind of get this far. 
Um, and that's a team I least want to face. Yeah. Uh, just on a matchup point of view, but also just because I want to see that out, that all South Florida uh, national championship game. Yeah, I certainly think that's what all of us here in the Sunshine State want to see. And, uh, you know, the, the voice of the Miami Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki, who was on just before you, he, of course, chose Miami. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw our own Senator Rick Scott when he filled out his bracket a few weeks ago, had FAU and Miami in the Final Four, and then playing each other for the title with Miami winning. So maybe some homerism, maybe a little Nostradamus there from our, our home state senator. But, uh you know, uh, Zach, if people want to follow along with you on Twitter, they can find your work on palmbeachpost.com. Uh, where can they follow along with social media? Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Zach Weinberger, Zach with an H, W-E-I-N-B-E-R-G-E-R on Twitter. I've been live tweeting the past couple of days. It's been a busy couple of weeks being in MSG, and now tomorrow morning we're going to Houston and covering all the events there. I was there at FAU this morning uh, covering their send-off as they're heading the bus, and the fans went crazy, so... It's going to be a busy uh, kind of rest of the weekend weekend, but it's going to be worth it. You know, FAU in the you know in the final four and possibly the national championship game. Uh, if you're an FAU fan, you can't get better than that. Absolutely, and me being a University of Florida grad, even though FAU beat the Gators, and even though I hate the Hurricanes, I still want to see those two teams making it into the championship game. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time today. Safe travels to you, and good luck to your alma mater. Thank you so much. And that will do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote five-time NCAA tournament champion and coaching legend Mike Krzyzewski, to me, teamwork is the beauty of our sport, where you have five acting as one. You become selfless. Yes, they do, and those who do win titles. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.